Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome to the Christmas series of The Delicious Podcast with me, Julie Smith. And this week, Matt Tebbett tells us about the festive feasts in his household. He was in town for the Saturday Kitchen Christmas party, but on the day that the news of the death of fellow TV chef Gary Rhodes was devastating the food industry, I started by asking about Gary's influence on him. He was uh, on TV at a time. I was in university. Um... And I was training, um, I was doing a geography degree, and I was going into the Air Force, and I, was, I used to go flying with the Air Force on my days off and what have you. And I used to come back from an hour's flying, exhausted, because uh, it turns out it's, it's quite taxing. Um, and I used, the way I used to relax was to, to cook for my mates in the house. There were six of us, and I used to cook in the style of Gary Rose. And... Um, and he had that very flamboyant way about him. So we used to mess around in the house, being all kind of flamboyant with our terrible student food. But I, I met him a, a couple of times um, since uh, since then, and he was such a lovely fella. And his, his impact on food and on TV, and he got the crossover. There's a lot of chefs that don't get the crossover between restaurants and how kind of uh, formal they, they think they need to be, and getting the public on side. So he was, he was absolutely brilliant at that. And also, his other big legacy was the fact that he took British food um, to a different level. I mean, it was at a time when everything was all about French food, but Gary came along and said, let's embrace oxtail, let's embrace faggots and liver and onions and all that great food. And he made that very, very sexy. He was. I mean, that, um, he was the original champion of local produce and roads mm. around Britain in 1994. Yeah. It was the precursor to Two Fat Ladies. In fact, Pat Llewellyn, who, who produced Two Fat Ladies and found Jamie Oliver and mm. put Gordon Ramsay on television, yeah. she actually said that she used to watch Gary Rhodes on Roads Around Britain and go, hang on a second, this guy's oh, really? got something. Is that right? So actually, you could really make that path yeah. between Gary Rhodes, who in the greater scheme you know was a chef chef wasn't he he yeah, wasn't he was. a telly chef he was, he was a brilliant chef I mean he was, he was I, I first came across him at the Castle Hotel uh, in Taunton and he was a brilliant chef you know Michelin starred um, very sort of uh, high flying and very fine dining and then he made that leap to, to TV um, and made all that kind of food kind of accessible and uh, and opened the public's eyes to it. And of course then did all that sort of good morning television stuff yeah. and those sort of, you know, five minute things that of course you see on Phil Schofield and Holly Willoughby yeah. now. <laughs> you know, just he was one of the very first people to do that but mm. actually I think that, you know, and, and it's too early, I haven't read the obituaries today and he died last night. Mm. But actually, I wonder if he will be seen as a chef's chef rather than a TV chef. Well, I think it's, it's a different thing, isn't it? I think to people, uh, to the general public, he's, he will be known as a TV chef. Uh, within the chef world, he is absolutely uh, a chef's chef. I mean, the guy was he, was, he was brilliant at what he'd done. His restaurants were really, really good. He was a fantastic cook. So he, he, he has the benefit of, of both sides, I guess. Yeah. 
Which leads me on to you, of yes. course. So you were the Sorry. man at the fox hunter <laughs> in my hometown virtually. Yeah. I, I grew up in Abergavenny and mm. you were just around the corner in Nantaderry at the yeah. fox hunter. Um, where you were a chef. Mm. And, you know, it, at a time when Abergavenny was just kind of coming to prominence. It was just after the Abergavenny Food Festival when you opened the fox hunter, wasn't it? Probably about 15, something, no, it was more than that, about 18, 19 years ago. Yeah, yeah, maybe. yeah. So it was around something like that, that time when yeah, that's food right, that's was right. really coming out of London yeah it was it was um, because in that area there was the walnut tree which has always been very famous Um, and that was kind of the linchpin I suppose and then the the festival sprung up and we were in London and I used to work for various people in in town and I met my wife up here and we decided we want to move back Um, and it seemed like a good place and we thought well if the walnut tree makes it and he's so busy all the time even if we took a fraction of of some of that trade we'd do all right. Um, and we did, and it and it worked, and it was it was a great place to have a restaurant. And at the time, we were doing the whole kind of seasonal, local, buying off the farms thing, which uh, it's become the norm. Yeah. But uh, at the time, it was very unusual. You know, it was unusual because I mean, you always I grew up in Abergavenny, and the produce was always mm. amazing. It wasn't called, you know, Abergavenny black beef. It was just called mm. beef. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, But it was amazing at that time, and and there was a branding operation, wasn't there, about high welfare. Uh, British meat and Welsh meat which has proved to be a really important contributor to British cooking. Yeah. Was that a thing at the Fox Hunter? Uh, absolutely it was. It, it was. it was It was an obvious thing. It made sense. If you bought in season it's going to be um, it's going to be cheaper for one. Uh, it's also going to be in abundance and it's going to be on your doorstep. So I mean these are things in London. It was every now and again you'd have a menu and it, you'd have something from like a Hereford duck and there was little things every here now and again here and there. But so we guess what we wanted to do was to take that to its kind of max as it were in in Wales and buy off this farm and we know that farmer and then our customers were farmers and they'd want to know where that beef come from or where the where the fish was coming from or the, the vegetables and what have you because they always knew the chain so it it, it made sense um, and it's an obvious thing to do and now it's well it's totally the norm yeah you know I can't imagine anyone being on Saturday Kitchen mm. who wasn't into you no, know really the, high welfare local at, produce at the, the best at the time you know if you're coming out of London back in the I don't know, the sort of the late 90s. If you were coming from a fine dining restaurant, you were used to finding strawberries and pineapple and raspberries and things in December. You'd use asparagus all year round. Nobody in fine dining, nobody was thinking of that. It was just, what is this produce? What would go well on this plate? Where do we get it from? A lot of the the produce we used to get when I worked for Marco um, would come direct from France. And that was the standard thing to do. Well, of course, and Marco Pierre White at the Oak Room came from a very classical Mm. tradition. And, of course, his podcast episode is coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, an extended version absolutely and he tells that story of British food really really interesting right back from the 80s he came with a classical French tradition Mm. but all the guys who came out of his Mm. kitchen like you and Mm. Gordon Ramsay and Philip Howard and all those kind of people they've taken it on British food is very different to the food that Marco Pierre White cooks yeah totally I mean I think what you got from Marco was uh, was enormous standards I mean the standards are amazing he would show you if he was going to show you how to make a, a fish soup it would be the best fish soup you know if you were going to learn how to make a pate it would be the best pate so all you did was to move out of that kind of that super fine refined dining and 
do it yourself and you have the same ingredients you'd use the uh, the same principles but you'd serve it in a different way yeah um, and then you took it away from France slightly and more towards you know the British countryside yeah. because that again was the obvious thing to do was it terrifying uh, yeah, was he terrifying yes he could be <laughs> terrifying but then that was the nature of cooking at the time um, but he was always fair you know it, uh, if you if you cocked up uh, he'd let you know but then next minute he'd be he'd be absolutely fine yeah. so no I always found him very fair to be honest would it be fair to say that you have moved from chef to TV presenter yeah absolutely I mean it, it took over um, we had the restaurant for 14 years and I was running away on a, on a Sunday night and getting back on a Thursday night to do... And I would do TV in that time, and then I'd do Friday, Saturday, Sunday in the restaurant, and then I'd disappear again. And it became uh, untenable, basically. It, was, it wasn't sustainable. You had kids at that time? Yeah, we had two, two youngish kids. Um, and, and the best of was always set up. To, my wife was at the front um, doing all the, all the important stuff. I was in the kitchen. Um, and it just didn't work if one of the parties was out, out of the picture. So, so TV took over, and while it was there, and while it was exciting, and while it got me to travel and meet new people and get out of the kitchen, I thought, why not? Let's give it a go. And I do rather like the idea of having different kind of disciplines within your life. I mean, adventures. You know, adventures, exactly. So, I mean, you know, we, and it was, it was a full on experience working in a restaurant in the country yeah. I mean you're never off so in all, you know, if, if an opportunity like that came along then great I took it and now yeah here we are and so you're in town tonight for the Saturday Kitchen party the Saturday Kitchen Christmas party how messy is that going to be? Um, it's going to be messy is a strong <laughs> word uh, it's, yeah it's going to be great uh, we're going to meet up uh, a little bit later and uh, yeah there's lovely lots to drink uh, well, it's going to be quite paint a picture of what the Christmas party is going to be it's going to be quite a late night um, there's going to be all sorts of all sorts of folk um, a lot of famouses uh, I have to say um, yeah a few chefs I know going and uh, a lot of the crew coming along. Um, so, uh, so no, it's going to be it's going to be a good night. Yeah, I'm very excited about it. I love doing that show. Uh, so tell us all about it. So, okay. because you know, you've gone. There's a bit of a transition, isn't there? Mm. You were sort of doing it occasionally. Yeah, and I now got. Now you are the main guy on Saturday Kitchen. Well, I was on the subs bench for quite a long time, and uh, and then you you get a lucky break. Was it something you kind of found your way into, and I then think, decided you liked? I think lucky breaks also come with a lot of perseverance yeah. don't they yeah. you know a lot of work a lot of perseverance um, but there is a there is a big old sprinkle of luck involved obviously so so I got it and I do you know what it is the best gig in the world I'm not just saying that I, I get to hang out with with people I absolutely adore um, I love meeting the guys the chefs who come on we it's like a youth club well a youth club for say it's a 45 year old it's like a club <laughs> um, it's a community of today's chefs which I find yeah, really interesting and, it's, and it keeps you um, it keeps you kind of you know um, topical I suppose it, it keeps you um, up with everything that's going on because you meet all sorts of different chefs um, um, I get on great with the crew. We all go out afterwards, and we have a right laugh. And so when we're in the studio. It's just us having a lovely time. You kind of forget that you're on telly, which is the which is the job, best which thing. is which is yeah. the most watchable thing. And, yeah. and you know, it's on Saturday morning. Traditionally, that is you know we used to watch 
chefs on telly mm. at 7 o'clock in the evening or 8 o'clock in the evening yeah. on BBC Two. Now, it's Saturday morning, probably Dad looking after the kids nursing a hangover. Yeah, there's a lot of that. Um, it's kind of... A, it's People watch it religiously. Some people have it on in the background. Some people dip in and out, depending on what's going on. And, you know, so many kids are going to kids' clubs and what have you. But it's it's kind of ever-present. And I've got this great relationship with uh, Ollie, the, the wine fella, Ollie Smith. Uh, so, and we pick up on conversations that we had the week before. So it's almost as though you're watching a kind of a soap opera in some way. You, know, yeah. some you, way. you get to know people. You get to know people and you get to know the chefs and their quirks and the intricacies and things like that. And it's, uh, I absolutely love it. It's yeah. And it is a very different thing to, as I said, to, to watching the kind of the Jamie Olivers. Mm. You know, it's 20 years since Jamie Oliver started The Naked Chef. Can you even believe where we've come since 1999? Oh, it's, it's enormous. I mean, the leap from, from then. I mean, I remember watching Jamie uh, and thinking yeah this guy's cool he's making he's making cooking fun and kind of cool and sexy for for your average bloke you know and i was in london uh, just how it happened to be cooking at the same time and um and it was just it was all the rage you know people wanted to be chefs they wanted to go home in the evening and they wanted to grab food and he was kind of illustrating or, or uh, to people what food was out there yeah and you know? bizarrely what drove Jamie to the kitchens was Marco because when he was eight years old and cooking in the kitchen of his dad's pub right. all the 16 year old chefs wanted to be Marco yeah well they do you see and it's, and as did I yeah. uh, my first cookbook was White Heat yeah. um, and there you flick through the pages and you got this this kind of chain smoking rock star yeah. who and he did make food sexy because before that time the chefs were sort of big hat wearing sort of hotel yeah. bit fat kind of but you know that that typical sort of stereotype but this guy was totally different and we all looked at him and we thought oh god we want to do that yeah. so no I, I didn't know that much yeah, yeah, yeah. and of course Marco does explain exactly how that happened and says his hair was all tussled because he never had time to wash yeah. it because they were doing sort of 18 19 hour <laughs> yeah, days just ridiculously you know day in day out yeah. After the break, we talk about Food Unwrapped, which he's been presenting on Channel 4 since 2013. I asked him if food itself has changed during his tenure. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 
Yes, it has. It's been a real eye-opener, that show. And it's it's strange how the two now go hand-in-hand, hand because I can stand on the stage at Saturday Kitchen and we're talking about a certain ingredient, and then a little it'll trigger a bit of information, a bit of knowledge that you've long forgotten. And you go, oh, do you know what? You know, do you know how this happens or this how this works? And it's just that little kind of extra layer of information. And so, so I'm really glad I, I do the two. Um, we've done all sorts of stories. It's opened my eyes to all sorts of things that you just take for granted. I mean, I've been in food for 20 or 25 years now, and there's things that you don't question, and then it makes you question them. You know, I didn't question why in a slice of ham there's no hole. You just presume oh, it's a slice of ham. But then you see how that slice of ham gets in that packet. It's like, wow, it blows your mind. Um, animal welfare, all sorts of issues has got to get raised. And it's, The rise of veganism? Yeah, that too. Um, well, go on, you've raised your eyes there. I'm no, going to ask you about I think that one. It's, it's a... It's a I think it's what do, you, what do you want to ask me? Ask me. Well, okay, I'm picking up from you there, Matt. That there might little be a bit of antipathy. It's. I tell you what. It's. I think what I resent is the there's kind of half information out there. There's there's a certain amount of information that's come through, and because of social media, it then gets escalated into the god-given truth, and it's not always the way. Um, so somebody will jump on some study that say we're eating too many animals or we're eating the wrong kind of animal or whatever it is and, it's, and you need to look at all the balanced facts and arguments yes. um, so I think it can be information in the wrong hands can be a very dangerous thing although I have to say it's, clearly we all need to be eating less meat less but better hashtag less, less but exactly, better exactly yeah. less but better and I think I was watching a show the other night actually and it suddenly occurred to me if I sat down on a restaurant in a restaurant and I looked at a menu and I was made aware where that meat come from I would probably think twice about buying it so if I'm in a Chinese restaurant for example and I want my pork ribs if I know that pork has come from some vile farm I wouldn't buy it mm. If I knew it would come from high welfare farm, I would. Mm. Um, I think it's giving people the choice. I think you ne- we need more information. But you've actually been to some of those farms, haven't you, through yeah, Food Unwrapped? I have, and there's nothing quite like uh, um, an intensive pig farm. It's just brutal. Mm. I mean, my honest opinion, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not all about organic, but free-range, absolutely. Mm. You go to a free-range pig farm... There might be thousands of pigs on that farm, and you could hear a pin drop because they're happy, they're content, they're outside, they're roaming around, they're not on top of each other. You go inside and take them into a barn, my God, the noise is just horrendous. And they're not happy. Um, And the difference, and that's really changed my opinion on on, uh, pig farming, for sure. And, of course, we know that the impact of food production Mm. on the planet is mm. the biggest contributor to climate change and I'm wondering you yeah. know whether you and your community of Saturday Kitchen guys you know do you talk about that do you see yourselves as the messengers I think you have to be careful you have to I mean food is for everyone you, there's no point and I'm I'm absolutely not into standing up and go yes you have to have free range yes you have to have organic because people can't afford it not everyone can afford it it's not it's, can't they it's, afford less but better they can afford less but better possibly if you've got five kids you know, there's a lot of people out there with a lot of kids and they've got a lot of mouths to feed. Um, you've got to pick and choose and you've got to... A lot of people all around the world eating vegetarian food night five days Yeah, ago. OK. I just think, no, it's not for me to stand up and preach. I think it's, it's our job to make people aware. 
give people a choice and say, yes, you could afford this, or you could do this, and you could do this. I just, yes, and go is, on. And is that because you're on telly? Do, do you feel, can I put Matt Tebbett back in the kitchen of the fox hunter? Oh, that's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> you could have preached there, couldn't you? Yeah, you can say what you want, but you're, you're going you're gonna to have an argument in a confined space with five other guys. But you've just got to be, you've got to be careful, especially these days, because people misconstrue the conversation. And suddenly, what you say will be taken out of context, it'll be printed somewhere else, and then you don't know where you are. And it, you can lose your job, and we all know you can lose your job overnight, and I do not want to do that. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> and, and presumably, particularly with social media, because people, rather than just the press, will yeah. kind of jump on a bandwagon and start totally. t- talking about you in a way that is not constructive. No, totally. And it, you have to remember, I mean, Saturday morning is not necessarily... People are just waking up... Maybe they've been out, they've had a heavy night, they've got a hangover. It's not the time, it's not the platform to start spouting your personal views. Um, It's a platform to entertain, to celebrate food and to showcase people. Does that feel like a split in your personality? Not so much as me being restrained, I guess, about what my personal views are. But it's no different to being a newsreader. And having your personal views. Basically, you're just relaying, you're relaying information. But, okay, so there's a... We've already talked about how that conversation has changed. Mm. When the national conversation changes again, mm. so that... I mean, I can't imagine in the next ten years we're going to be not talking about yeah. the increase in veganism, the less but better sure. will have gone absolutely mainstream by that time. Yeah. Will that be sanctioned by your producers? Do you have that conversation with your producers? Where, or is there an assumption that you can't preach? That there's a Is there an assumption of we what the national know. conversation is right now? There's, yes, we absolutely, there absolutely is. Because we've, we've addressed the, the plastic issue. So, um, so Saturday Kitchen has decided it's, it's gone completely single-use plastic-free, which is throwing up challenges, uh, especially with dairy and things like that. It's also... It's one of those things. Do you know when recycling came? When recycling hit Wales, everyone was up in arms because they had to sort through their rubbish. <laughs> and then, very quickly, people get used to it. It's one of those things. So, uh, when we went single-use plastic-free, you know, if, if, you wanna, if your chef wants to roll something in cling film and poach it, you can't. You have to think something out. And initially, it's, you know, you throw your hands in the air and you go, oh, my God, what am I going to do, blah, blah, blah. You can soon think round it. What do you use Somebody said to me about sous vide the other day. You can't use sous vide because it's in plastic. That's a very good question. Do people sous vide things anymore? I don't know. That's very, it's very 2000s, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I was never really into sous vide, to be honest. I brought a machine once and I just, I used to use it as a cake stand. It was just such a pain in the ass to buy the bags all the time. Well, I suppose what people would do with sous vide is they kind of get a, a, a bowl of water that's of a certain temperature and they'll put a plastic bag with some stuff in it. <laughs> Yeah, well, basically, basically, yeah. I mean, uh, that's a very good question. Nobody's actually um, actually sort of brought that up. But, I mean, we don't do that on the show. But there's there's lots of sort of tricks that people are saying. You know, if you're proving bread, for example, get shower caps um, from from your cheap hotel. You know, those those nasty plastic shower caps. Put those over a bowl and you can reuse them. Um, Stuff like that. Or just make sure you reuse plastic. Because if you're using it, it ain't going to end up in bloody ocean, is it? So those are conversations you're having in producer meetings? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, let's go back to the veganism thing. 
there are too many cows on this earth. There are too many animals on this earth. And it's because of the demand. In factory farms. In factory farms, exactly. Because there are too many uh, people demanding meat now, and meat is much cheaper. But what I disagree with is the fact that, you know, I live in Wales, and I see these, these hill farmers who are having a tough time as it is. So what I don't want to see is the, the veganers who go, we can't eat animal animals at all, because these poor sods are going to be out of business. And they have a tough time as it is. People still want to eat meat. Um, so those farms... I would be hard... You know, if you told me they affect the environment, I would seriously doubt that. I would have thought it's, they're pretty It's about neutral. moderation. I mean, I think that's what... The, the message yeah. of now is it's, it's back to everything in moderation. But I think what's going to happen is that there's going to be this, this spike in veganism, and then it's, as it drops, we're going to be left... The public conscious is going to be left with the fact that veganism is an option... Yeah. Um, and it's a much greater option than it ever was. I mean, 20 years ago, when we when we sort of set up the restaurant, vegetarianism wasn't anywhere near what it was now. Dietary requirements, there, there weren't any. And now it's a huge thing. And now it's become the norm. And veganism will become the norm. And there will be menus available and there will be... Uh, all sorts of options for people so that will be a good thing and presumably on Saturday Kitchen you do the yeah, very same thing You, ha- I absolutely. mean what what percentage of the stuff that you cook on Saturday Kitchen would be vegetarian quite a lot quite a lot vegetarian I couldn't tell you the percentage but we we, we embrace that quite a lot veganism is a, I mean to be honest I'd be I'd love to be educated It's. A re- I think it's a really really tricky thing Read Mara Soda. She's done a very oh, good really? book called East, on, oh, which is my absolute go-to on, oh, okay. on, on veganism. She's, right. she's it's the dairy. How do you make things tasty without dairy? Condiments. Really? Soy, mushrooms. Okay. Bosch as well. Bosch have done it brilliantly. Okay. Um, I'm cooking. Boys. I'm cooking Bosch Christmas lunch this year, and I'm not a vegan. Really? Why is that? Because I tried it out, and it's genuinely tasty. And what is it? It's mushrooms with lots of red wine reduction. You, you cook it for a very long time. Mm. Mushrooms with chestnuts. Okay. Lots, so you, lots so of you go to the kind yeah, of the real umami, umami real lovely, lovely stuff. Okay, um, there you go. So, so that, as a chef, that's challenging. That's exciting. Uh, and those are the things that, that sort of, you know, spark my enthusiasm. Yeah, it's yeah. not people spouting, you can't eat meat, yeah, you, yeah. you know, you know you're killing the planet. Yeah. It's like, no, let's let's change things yeah. sort of incrementally. Yeah. So what is on the Christmas table at the, at the Tebbit household? Uh, well, I'm, I'm going to my sister-in-law's <laughs> this year. Uh, I think we've got turkey this year. I'm going to get a goose because I just like those hanging around, yeah. quite frankly. I've got some beef um, from my, my local taxi driver who's got a farm. Um, and he has to, incidentally, he has to drive taxis to make his farm work. So I bought some, uh, a couple of uh, joints from him. So those, those are going to be in the fridge. Um, Christmas Day is, is it's just about getting together and getting a little bit smashed, isn't it, really? Um, getting through lunch and trying not to fall asleep. Uh, I like the whole kind of, the whole sort of spread. I like having things in the fridge. I like having coronation chicken sandwiches I like you know all that kind of uh, the comfort of cheese I want cheese everywhere yeah, so, yeah. yeah that, that's what gets me going especially. comfort sitting back relaxing mm. you don't have to do much work over Just Christmas do you, do you do a lot of the cooking uh, yeah I do whenever I'm at home I love cooking it's a very different thing than restaurant cooking it's much I much more prefer it now because you don't have everything at your fingertips you've got a limited cupboard uh, so you, creatively you have to be a bit more clever yeah. I think and what about 2020? What are you looking forward to next year? 2020, what's that bringing? Uh, hopefully more Saturday Kitchen. Um, 
Uh, hopefully a lot more sad occasions. Uh, food and wraps uh, rolls on. Um, potentially going to Peru or, uh, or South Korea. That that will be good. Um, what are you going there for? I'm going there to look at a couple of stories for Food Unwrapped. Um, we're looking at it at the moment. Um, I'm off to Cayman Islands. So you do a lot of travel, actually. That'll be fun. My kids are having their GCSEs and their A-levels, so that'll be great. Joy. <laughs> yeah. Get off to South Korea yeah. immediately. <laughs> that'll, that'll be fun. Um, and uh, I don't know what else. Um, got a trip to Italy planned. Going back to Puglia. Um, yeah. More of a book. A book? Tell us about the book. What mm. would you like to write? I'd like to do a book about peasant food. I want to do European peasant food um, because I think it's the best food in the world, quite frankly. And now I've got to get a publisher interested. <laughs> Easy said than done. Happy Christmas. Let's hope it's around the corner for you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, I look forward to that. Yeah. Thanks for listening to The Delicious Podcast. I'll be back next week to find out what Christmas is like in the hairy households with Cy King and Dave Myers of the Hairy Bikers. I'll see you then. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.